KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In Depth. I'm Tom Rickert. It seems like every part of society has been changed in some way or another by the coronavirus pandemic and social distancing. And in Philadelphia, that includes the court system. Today, we're turning the podcast over to KYW's crime and justice reporter, Kristen Johansson. She talked to three Philadelphia judges earlier this week to try and get a handle on what's happening behind the scenes of Philly's judicial system during this crisis. Kristen, we'll take it from here. So, Tom, we did a phone call with three of the top judges in Philadelphia to discuss really where the courts are, what's open, what's not open, and then what's happening both at the municipal level and then also at the common pleas level. Uh, So the municipal level usually covers things like drug cases, retail theft, traffic citations, common pleas. They cover the more serious charges like burglary, shootings, gun cases, murder, assaults. It's a really interesting discussion between these three judges Uh, I really only ask a few questions during this, but the judges here wanted to clarify a lot about what's going on behind closed doors and about how this process is working of getting people out of jail during the pandemic. And then also what families can do, both on the sides of the defendants, the defendant's family, how they can ask a, a lawyer to file a motion, and then also on the side of the victims and what the victims can do, who they can reach out to. So the three judges here that we talked to, Judge Idy Fox, she's the president judge for the Court of Common Pleas in Philadelphia, and also the chair of the Administrative Governing Board, Judge Leon Tucker. He's the supervising judge of the criminal section of Philadelphia. And then Judge Patrick Dugan, he's the president judge of the Municipal Court in Philadelphia. Here's that conversation. What is the current state of the courts? Obviously, the state Supreme Court has issued a few different orders. And so where are, where do we stand right now? Can you explain what is being completely suspended or halted really from the Supreme Court? What hearings well, are not I, happening? Well, I think what they suspended was civil and criminal jury trials and bench trials. They suspended trials in the family court division. What they've essentially done is say, if it's an emergency and if it involves either the a family or someone being placed in danger, or someone with a loss of freedom, such as in the criminal matters, the court has given us guidance that those are essential matters that need to be dealt with procedurally as quickly as possible. And Judge Tucker, I don't know if you want to uh, weigh in on this. What is the time rule excludable? And can you kind of reference here the Sixth Amendment, how it ties in? Yeah, well, in, in this constitutional right to a speedy trial, and in Pennsylvania, we have Rule 600, which is a uh, set time constraint in terms of when a person should be brought to trial. And the Supreme Court has suspended that temporarily during, during the, uh, the time that the courts are closed. Obviously, this is something that's never happened before, especially for this length of time. And so without kind of getting into too much detail, what has been happening up to this point, you could say behind closed doors, trying to iron out these details, how has that been? You had to kind of get everybody, I guess, together to the table to figure out how these courts were going to run. In essence, what we did, we started off with, on the criminal side, lifting detainers, individuals who were in violation uh, or alleged violation 
violation of probation or parole, as well as emergency bail petition. We're doing that uh, remotely by paper. By paper, I mean reviewing documents that were filed. I think it's important to note that the court is not in a position to just select things and do them. A petition usually has to be filed, and that's usually done by a defendant who's seeking access to the court for the court to rule upon something, such as to lift the detainer, such as to get bail relief, or in instances now, what we're doing now is petitions for early parole. But it's important to understand that the court just cannot reach into the prison and pull people out. I mean, it has to be done by way of a petition. And what we've been done, fortunately, is to work out agreements with the district attorney's office, with the public defender's office and the private bar. As a matter of fact, we started this back on March 12th. This is prior to the court being closed. We kind of saw it coming and, and we just thought that we put forth an effort to get as many people the remedies that they thought in terms of being released from custody. And at that point, we sought names and petitions from the district attorney's office as well as the public defender's office to get things rolling. And it, however, it wasn't until I guess it was April 5th or 6th that we actually received the list of names, but we did receive petitions in the interim. And we did that remote petitions to lift bail or reduce bail and petitions to release detainers. And then Judge Fox, you want to talk about the civil side as well and the family well, courts? Family court had a similar meeting prior to the court shutdown regarding detention hearings and trying to get a list from the um, public defender as to juveniles that were detained, requesting that it be considered for release. And those were provided pretty promptly, and family court's been having those hearings since the shutdown. And with the civil recently last week, and by civil, I mean beyond family court, with those types of proceedings, we did release an administrative order last week announcing that we encourage the bar to continue working on discovery and continue working on their cases. Again, we've had to prioritize which types of cases get heard before others. And that's been almost in addition to the direction of the Supreme Court. It's been a learning process as we suddenly realize, wait, we have a problem here. How do we deal with that? And you had asked the question, how do we do that? We do have judicial leadership. We do have a lot of very good administrators who work with the courts, work in the courts, and we have numerous conference calls throughout the day trying to, and a lot of emails and a lot of texts going back and forth, trying to say, okay, a problem came up. How do we resolve it? Where do we go next? How do we step forward and make sure people have access to the courts to resolve their differences? And it's a day by day, and sometimes, depending on what's going on, an hour by hour problem that we try to resolve. So, since the closure, and again, Judge Tucker mentioned a March 12th meeting, frankly, our courts, our personnel, judges, judicial leadership have been working almost around the clock. We also have concerns. We're in a unique time, a unique period of history with this coronavirus, and all of us are affected by it, whether it's our employees, our judges, our clerks, the prison guards, the sheriffs, the prisoners, attorneys. We're concerned as judges about everyone. And people that are in jail, we have always been open to petitions. An attorney can file what we call an e-filed motion. They've been able to do that 24-7 since before the coronavirus. And those cases right now are immediately sent to a judge to review. And we have been doing hundreds of them prior to us doing these courtrooms that municipal court and the court of common pleas set up. So prior to this massive list of 1,990 that the district attorney sent us on April 2nd or so, I thought we were getting that list March 12th. We didn't get it till April 2nd, 
But we have been doing all kinds of cases prior to that. And then when we got those lists, I can tell you, just giving you some numbers, and we had four courtrooms operational last week for just these emergency petitions. In the courtroom that I sat and Judge Pittman sat in, the one next to me, we had over 500 cases that were sent to us. That included about 230 individuals. So we did all those emergency petitions that were sent to us in a courtroom. And I'm sure the other two courtrooms that were operational have similar numbers. Today, municipal court, we're down to one courtroom because today I got 18 motions. So in terms of all these cases that are out there, we're willing to take them 24-7. We have over a dozen judges that have been sitting home remotely answering, deciding all these e-filed motions. And we will continue to do that. In municipal court, we have folks who are handling mental health cases, treatment court cases, veterans court cases. They are working 24-7. And I would like to take the opportunity to thank all of our people in the system who are coming in. It's a stay-home order, but we have clerks coming into our building to do these cases. We have judges coming into our building, the attorneys from the DA and the PD. Kudos to them that are coming in. Some of them are working from home, calling into our courtroom. We have adjusted what the courts are doing. We have Zoom set up. We have people who are calling in on speakerphone, similar to how we're doing this conference call. So we are adjusting and doing a lot of work. Join Judge Dugan in family court and um, civil matters. There's a lot of people who are coming into court, a lot of judges working remotely who are trying to keep the court as operational as possible. There are, between March and, and when we hopefully start up in May, there are a tremendous number of hearings that have been canceled because we couldn't go forward, as well as people with hearing dates already in March and June, July and August. So all of these will have to be rescheduled, not just in criminal, but in family, in civil, in orphans courts and in municipal court. These are all things that will have to be done. And as we go forward, we'd like everyone to know that our staffs and our judges are also working on a plan regarding rolling back up to full operation. We don't anticipate that the sun's going to come out one day and we're going to all be able to come back to work in full force. So we're already trying to put our plans in place for when we become operational again, whether it be gradual or whether it be fully, which we don't anticipate, but we do anticipate a gradual coming back to operation. And we're working on that now, even as we speak with the cooperation with both the family court bar, the civil bar, the crisis is much more criminal because the issue, as Judge Dugan said, was the issue of people being incarcerated and trying to resolve the those cases as quickly as possible. There's a lot of people working across the courts who are coming in despite the risks involved to make sure things keep moving and continue to keep moving as well as plan for the future when this finally ends. To, to add that, though, we, we all appreciate and know that these are difficult times. These are very difficult and frustrating times. And what we have is, is individuals, including the public defender, who knows what to do. They understand and appreciate that there has to be a petition filed to get things rolling. There's a lot of people out there. They're emailing, they're texting, they're doing social media. And I think a lot of them have been misguided. People need to understand that in order to get something done, it has to be initiated. And it cannot be initiated solely by the court. I mean, the court is here ready, willing, and doing a tremendous job in terms of the, the work that we're doing. Back on March 12th, it was our suggestion back then that people who were over the age of 60 
incarcerated with morbidity, economic crimes, nonviolent crimes. Get us those names and we'll, we'll see to, to uh, how we can get them out. It, it must be understood that each of these petitions have to be done on a one-by-one basis. Our Supreme Court order, and plus common sense, does not allow us to just say anyone who has a sentence that is only six months left, they can be released. They can't have that. We have to look at these cases individually, one-by-one, and that's what we're doing. And I think the uh, the public need and must understand that, that there is no broad stroke resolution to this effort. Uh, therefore, it takes a tremendous amount of effort a tremendous amount of time by the uh, by the court. And again, as uh, Judge Dugan and Judge uh, Fox mentioned, these are individuals who have uh, judges and staff of the court who are going in there risking their health and everything every day, doing what they think is right and going home to their families and, and who knows what they're maybe bringing home. But nonetheless, they have elected to do that. And again, I, I applaud them as well as uh, Judge Dugan and Judge uh, Fox in that regard. I, You know, and it's Christian. funny you say that, Judge. Yeah, I just, I wanted to just interject really quick because when people ask in general about when something happens in court, whether or not it's a big case or not, I usually say it's kind of like playing the game, mother may I, or really mother may you. It's kind of like, will you please do this? Like it has to be asked. And and that's the way it has always been. It's not, this isn't a new thing just because of COVID. And I realize how simple that sounds. And, but people really don't understand the courts and how they work and how they operate. And you must be, like you're saying, it's, it's like saying, judge, may you do this and agreeing with that other side or trying to come up with some sort of, uh, you know, compromise. What we're looking at is a situation that's been brought to the forefront right now. But you may recall back in 2015, when the court got involved with the MacArthur Foundation and received that tremendous amount of money in terms of uh, ways to reduce the jail population. And what the people don't understand we started that back in 2015 when the prison population was somewhere in the neighborhood of 8,082 people. When all of these other jurisdictions that we're being compared to, they weren't doing anything. So what we did back in 2015 is we started releasing people out of jail then when other jurisdictions did not. And so over these years, we have reduced our jail population before this pandemic start, we have reduced our jail population to 41%. So to compare Philadelphia with Detroit, with all these other areas, is, is like apples and oranges. We got a head start. We got a long head start. So a lot of the people that these other jurisdictions are just beginning to release now, they've been out in Philadelphia. Right now, our jail population as of this morning is 4,139. That's a lot of people. But nonetheless, we have started shipping away at this in 2015. And we're doing a tremendous job, I think. Right now, we are down to the areas Judge Dugan mentioned. He only had 18 so cases this morning. Last week, we had four courtrooms neighboring somewhere in the neighborhood of around 60 cases per courtroom. And now what we're starting to see uh, this week and the end of last week is individuals who are very concerning in terms of public safety if they're released. Individuals charged with sex offenses, uh, individuals charged with gun cases, individuals charged with other violent crimes. There was even one individual on a vehicular homicide case who was waiting to be sentenced. That was last week. So not to mitigate anything, but I think we're kind of scraping the barrel right here. And and we'll see what this week brings out. We have additional six courtrooms or a total of six courtrooms ready to go this week. And we were told last Thursday that they didn't have enough cases. They didn't have enough petitions filed for us to have all those courtrooms running today. So we scaled back and we only have three Court of Common Pleas 
cases, three court of common pleas courtrooms, rather, operating today. We're going to ramp them all up tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. So the motion, and the reason why we have to do them one by one, and I'll give you For example, if a person is in jail on aggravated assault and their bail is $5,000 and they've been in in jail since, say, January, well, she can't post $500. During the closure, to me, that's a no-brainer to go ahead and SOB that person because if she had $500, she would be out. Sign on bond. So that person is able to just sign with a signature and pledge that they're going to show up to court when the court's open. If she doesn't show up, there'll be a bench warrant and she'll owe $5,000. So to release the person where they can leave because they don't have $500 to get out of jail. So because we're closed, that's an easy call for a judge. But I'm not signing these blindly because on that same list, there was a defendant who was an older man, but he was accused. The allegations are he was chasing an 11-year-old girl with a pair of scissors and made her touch his privates. I was being requested to SOB. There was actually an agreement to SOB her. Let him out. SOB him. Now, I can't do that blindly. I have to look at it. That was denied. But that's why we have to look at these cases individually. And judges should will never do it otherwise because each case is different. And some of the cases that we're getting, it doesn't make sense. But we're judges and we'll look at each one. So some of the stuff coming in is rather simple. You can see it. Other ones, you question how that motion even got there. But we'll, we'll accept the motion, but we also have the power to so, deny. So what I get to say now is one of the roles of being the president judge and the chair of the AGB is I get to bring all the other parts of this puzzle of the court system into focus. The criminal side and the issue of release of prisoners in these hearings has taken a lot of attention and they've been operational. And I commend Judge Tucker and Judge Dugan for working with their staffs to try to get this not only moving forward, but expanding. Operations in family court have been going forward and expanding as they can do that, both as remote systems become available. Operations in the orphans court is expanding so that they can get orders docketed. In the civil division, we're trying to expand so that we can start looking at those matters that were frozen as of March 16th. And as well, to emphasize as we go forward, planning on how we prioritize and move forward once we become fully operational again. And just to to tag on the back of that, what we're doing in in the criminal side of it, it's no longer a written petition. They simply submit names and we go from there. Everything is done, again, by phone, calling into the court. And so they're oral for the most part, as opposed to uh, the written petitions that the uh, rules of criminal procedure require. And so for loved ones or somebody who has a loved one in prison and they may be worried. I've been getting emails and, and I try to answer each one from concerned citizens. On at least two occasions, I have forwarded the email to the public defender and the district attorney regarding how to get someone out. It has to be done by some movement, some petition or some request. And from my understanding, that the, the two individuals that I did refer to the district attorney's office and the public defender's office have been looked into by uh, by the Defenders Association and the district attorney's office. I've seen a lot of emails directed to me personally re- regarding not letting individuals uh, out of jail. And I've got nothing to do with that outside of deciding a petition and trying to set up a program along with the district attorney, along with the private bar, along with the public defender to come up with a mechanism that would be expedited, uh, even not emergent, sometimes expedited just to get the court's attention so that the court can rule on these petitions and get their loved ones out of jail. 
If there's a person who has concern about their loved one in prison, contact your lawyer directly and get them to file a motion and we will look at that motion. For both victims and defendants, this is obviously a delay in justice. And so is there some assurance or insight that you can provide people that courts will eventually reopen, they will proceed and kind of what that looks like if you have any indication at this point, how we're going to kind of get back to normal. I realize that none of us really know how any of this is going to get back to normal. If I could address that. And again, this is us now planning that, yes, this is going to end and we are going to become fully operational and back to what we identify as normal sometime in the future. Part of how we do that will very much depend on the guidance of the CDC and our health department as to what we can do and not do regarding a rollout to opening. We will have to, as leadership and our administrators, talk about how we prioritize what types of cases have to be heard, what is necessary for the civil rights of individuals, as well as the protection of victims, as well as the safety of families as we go forward and we try to get ourselves back uh, on our feet again, not just as a court system, but as a city. Like I said, we're starting that process now, anticipating that this will happen sometime in the next few months and anticipating it may not happen with a snap of a finger. So again, we have to look at the entire picture and look at criminal and civil and the economic effect of this with the landlord tenant, with mortgage foreclosure, with taxes. So there's a whole plethora of areas that we're going to have to look at and start to prepare for us getting back to normal. But we're here. We're working on it. We anticipate that's exactly what's going to happen. And just to add on to that, uh, we all understand what a jury trial is and how a jury trial is selected and how the juries get together. And with the social distancing, I mean, that's not going to end on a date certain. I think we're going to have to ease into that. So we, we don't know how that's going to end. We don't know when it's going to end. But that's something very important in terms of the criminal trials, because we just don't know how a person is going to be tried by a jury and how we're going to blend ourselves into that new era that we just don't know uh, what it's going to look like in the future. We are working on it. We've got individuals designated and assigned to start looking at that now, listening to the president, listening to the governor, listening to the mayor uh, and judicial leadership in terms of how we're going to roll that out and blend it all together. I think the basis of what we're trying to do on the criminal side is to make sure that not only the citizens, but the people in Philadelphia remain safe in terms of individuals who are incarcerated or seeking to get out. And the court thoroughly understands and appreciates that inmates who are not deep into criminal activity deserve forgiveness and a chance to correct their behavior by being able to get out on bail or having a detainer lifted. And that's what we're attempting to do. Again, the emails that I get are for and against letting individuals out who have criminal behavior in their records. And some of them have extensive backgrounds and their neighbors know that. And the emails again, please do not let so-and-so out. Well, you know, I, I don't look at it on an individual case, but I understand thoroughly generally what that person is saying, uh, even though that person may have a relative that are in jail them, themselves. But I understand the, the problem that they see and that we all see with public safety here in Philadelphia. I mean, from the March 16th to the 8th of April, there was 112 shootings in Philadelphia. 14 of those shootings were fatal. Now, we're under a pandemic, and nonetheless, we are in a situation where we're seeking to let individuals out of jail. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant of uh, public safety and we just want to be safe and keep uh, the city safe as well. 
Can I just say that as we urge citizens to call their attorneys for their loved ones that are in prison, I would also urge uh, those victims to contact the district attorney's office because that does come into play. When there's a motion to release somebody, many times the district attorney is letting the judge know, Your Honor, I spoke to the victim. They're okay with it. Your Honor, I spoke to the victim and they have some concerns because that becomes a factor that we consider. So if a citizen out there is involved in a criminal matter in terms of being the victim or a witness, I urge them to contact the district attorney's office and let that attorney know what your position is so that the judges can have a full picture of what's actually going on. And Tom, as we wrap up here, just a note from the judges to people who may be witnesses, may have been subpoenaed for something, got a notice about jury duty. Courts are closed for now until May 4th. That likely will be extended. So you do not have to go to court at this point while the courts are closed. You should get a follow-up subpoena about when to show up when the courts are reopened. But at this point, you do not have to go to court until at least May 4th. But again, that's likely to be extended. Our colleague, Cherry Gregg, has been covering prisoners uh, who have been infected with COVID, uh, what the situation is there. And I'm kind of covering parts of the courts when they're closed, when they're going to be reopened, and really what the process there is of trying to get courts back to normal and get our judicial system back to normal. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. If you want to listen to more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you just want to know how the news that you see on TV or hear on the radio will affect you personally, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Just search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Tom Rickard, and we'll have another episode out soon. 